Hey, my name is Doug Rouse. I get to be the pastor of New River Church in Manchester, Connecticut, and this is our podcast. We hope that you feel inspired and encouraged as a result of today's message. If you would like some more information, simply check us out at newriverchurch.org. So I'm excited. I hope you're excited this morning. I hope that you had a good week. I hope you're standing on the threshold of a wonderful week. Now, let's get to bragging about Jesus Christ this morning. Let's take a look at the first slide. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. I'll read the verse for you. For we are God's masterpiece. NIV says handiwork. The New King James Version uses the word workmanship. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do good things he planned for us long ago. Don't miss this idea of a masterpiece. The Greek word is for poem, so I'm thinking about a Shakespearean sonnet, maybe Homer's Iliad. Uh, there's wonderful masterpieces, and I've put up here on the board three particular masterpieces that are up for sale. So if any of you are inclined to hang a nice painting in the dining room wall or on your living room wall, these three paintings are up for sale. The first one going for bid, and this is a live auction, the first one is going for $250 million. This is the card player by Paul Cezanne. Anybody, any takers on this? $250 million. Yes, we got one right here. We're going to bump it up to $251 million. Any other bidders? Let's move on. We got, well, brave back. Oh, $300 million. That's nice. We're going to break a record this morning. So we're moving to the second painting in the middle. This is number five by Jackson Pollock. This one is going for $140 million. We've already sold the first painting for $300 million. Who wants the second? Any takers? There we go. Wow. Just spent all that college 529 playing on a painting. That's pretty impressive. The last one, now, this is entitled The Woman. I don't know if I would purchase a woman that looked like that for $137 million. But some blind, old, decrepit individual spent $137 million on the woman. Okay? 600? Okay. Let's rewind. The painting in the middle, okay? We're getting a little more practical here. The masterpiece in the middle. I have a six-year-old that if I sit him down with a box of crayons and colored pencils and some watercolors and I leave him alone for 30 to 40 minutes before he runs into a wall of boredom, he can come up with something pretty close to that middle painting. Now, listen, I'm taking orders right now. 50 bucks. It's a deal. How many of you would want a masterpiece painted by my six-year-old son for $50? You are friends? I'll give it to you for $35. bucks. we will start with you, okay? <laughs> Seriously, don't miss this. Don't miss this passage of Scripture because this cuts across the grain of all of humanity and what we've been taught in the higher walls of education. And it's this, that God who made you has something to say to you. The God who formed you in the womb wants to help you. Don't miss this. You are an absolute masterpiece. The principle here is there's only one you, so you be you. There's only one person in all of the world that is you, so why not be 100% entirely just simply be you? Now I'm going to give you the definition of an accident. It's an unintentional act it's an undesirable, incidental, and unplanned event that could have been prevented circumstances leading up to the accident had been recognized. 
enacted upon prior to its occurrence. Now, I've had an accident. Anybody, this is open here. Let's keep it brief. Anybody ha has anybody in the room had a personal accident that you would like to share with us this morning? An accident. Anybody? Go ahead. Wow. Wow. I don't know if you heard that, but his wife will be speaking to him in a conversation, and this bright guy calls her mom. That's not an accident. That's a tragedy. Okay? That's not an accident. That is 10 years of marital counseling and a lot of money to boot. Any other individual like to share what an accident is? Anybody else? Go ahead. Uh-oh. So you heard it first. So he's already in trouble. My wife hasn't heard it, so she's Tragically, I have a I have a desk at work and I collect sort of medicinal in, in, uh, incidentals in case I have to uh, have to get a box drop or an aspirin. And it's just a little stack for it in the garage and it's got um Your, your gums start shrinking? Okay, we're moving on. <laughs> we're moving on. Hey. Hey, listen. As sincere as I can possibly be, from the bottom, from the bottom, from the bottom of my heart, from the bottom of my heart, when those gums pulled back, those teeth are white. Okay? We have been programmed since. The beginning of our lives, coming up through elementary school and biology and chemistry, we have been told and brainwashed that we are a chance, that we're a mishap. We're just a simple ratio. We're a very low probability of existence. We've been taught that there was this cosmic bowl of soup, and this little thing swam out and grew some legs and became a frog, became a snake, became a pig became a monkey and since then we're all still monkeying around we've been told that we are just a chance a mishap in fact a mistake and maybe some of you who were raised up in some pretty challenging homes maybe you were tossed back and forth uh, among foster care maybe uh, you felt like the home that you grew up in that you don't feel like you had a whole lot of worth or value 
Maybe you grew up in a tough home where one of your parents, one of those trusted caregivers for you, actually whispered the words that you were unplanned or unwanted. I want here to tell you this morning that the world bombards us and bombards our children, whether it's in the textbooks or within the family life or among their friends. Many of the people growing up today, and myself included, at some point in time in our lives, felt that like we were an accident. That we were just a mishap. We were a mistake. The odds just happened to fall into my favor and I crawled out of that cosmic bowl of soup and I existed today as David Lemoyne. The world tells us in many different ways that we are a mistake, that we're unplanned, that we're incidental, that there's no purpose, there's no meaning to life. We're bombarded with that message day in and day out. And thank God that the Bible says something entirely different. That's why this is so important that we spend time in the Bible. Let me ask you this question. When you get up in the morning and your feet hit the floor and you go to the bathroom and you take your shower or your bath and you comb your hair, you brush your teeth, you get dressed, you look in the mirror, and what do you see? What's your first thought? Are you like, uh, what's that? Good morning, Lord. That's a great place to start. What do you see in the mirror? Oh, no. What's that? Oh, no. Is, your, is that your husband? Is he standing behind you? You go, oh, no. What do you see? Do you see yourself as a masterpiece? Do you see yourself as there's only one of me, so I'm going to be 100% all in on this. I'm going to be all me. What do you see? No. The vast majority of us, we see the mishap. We see the mistakes. We see the hurt. We see the pain. We see the sorrow. We see the failures. We see the grief. We feel the shame. And we look in the mirror, and there's the vast majority of us don't say, I'm a masterpiece. I'm like Smalley from Saturday Night Live, you know, that life coach of the 80s. Got that sweater, and he looks in the mirror, and he goes, I'm handsome, I'm smart, and doggone it, people like me. We laugh because it's kind of fake, it's superficial, it's just a facade. But deep down inside of our heart and soul, when we look into the mirror, do we see ourselves as God sees us? Do we see ourselves as a one of a kind, a prototype? Do we see ourselves as a masterpiece? People are going out and spending hundreds of millions of dollars on what they call to be a masterpiece. I want to share with you this morning that you... Our masterpiece. Painting could go for 300 million. There's no price tag on your life. There's not enough money in this entire world that could purchase you. You are so expensive, you outprice the entire market of this world. You get that? Do you get that? You're a, ma- you're a masterpiece. No, seriously, look up. You're a masterpiece. Don't let anybody ever sell you short. Don't let anybody ever tell you that you're not a masterpiece. 
because you are. You're an absolute masterpiece. Curtis, you are a masterpiece. Can't put a price tag on Curtis. Oh, his wife's tried to sell him for 1995. She can't give me away. I'm that friend that's closer than a brother. You're, you're a masterpiece. This is hard for me. This is difficult, and I am trying. He knows I love him. You're a masterpiece. You're a real gem. You're one of a kind. Billions and billions and billions of people have drawn breath in this world, and not one, not one is like you, bud. You are an absolute masterpiece. I wish I could go around the room and share that. I wish that message, that me if that message could filter down and soak and swell up in your heart and soul, your Monday through Friday would be radically different. Brother, you're an absolute masterpiece. All right? Your wife's an angel for putting up with you. <laughs> But you're an absolute masterpiece. Aaron, when were you born? 19 what? Wow, he's a pup. 1993. I, oh, now, when I sit with individuals and I ask them their birthday and they say 1984, I'm thinking, wow, I just got old. Birthday. February 24th, 19. Where? Troy, New York. Okay, let's... That's a nice area. I'm going to be brave. I'm going to ask a woman, <laughs> only because I know her very well, and she'll forgive me. When was your birthday? Okay. Okay. 1980. And, 19, 1980. Okay, 1975. I'm trying to add years there. <laughs> Where, Boise, Idaho. Wow, that's a long commute to go to church in the morning, isn't it? Any other birthdays? When was your birthday? Time and place, date. Go ahead. June 13th, 1934. June 3rd? June 13th. 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 You know what happened on that day? This is, how, this is what the Bible says on that particular day. Your mama was in that delivery room. And she was in pain, typical childbirth. And there were some doctors and some nurses there. And you came out and the nurse held you. And underneath the nurse's hands were the very hands of God. And he picked you up. And he said, I formed you and I knitted you together in your mother's womb. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Amen. No mistake, no mishap, no chance, not rolling the dice at the craps table. By design, on any given day, month, and year, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. 
You were fashioned in your mother's womb. And God's very hands picked you up and said, I have been waiting thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years for you. I've been waiting for you since I breathed life in the very lungs of Adam. He picked Adam up. He was a ball of clay. And he went, And God stood back in awe and said, this is the pinnacle of my creation. This is a masterpiece that will have dominion over everything you see in the skies and the seas and the mountains and the fields. You are an absolute masterpiece. Do you see the change? Do you get that? Has that message seized your soul that you are one of a kind, that you are a masterpiece? And that God spent an enormous amount of time fashioning you, knitting you, putting you together to every detail. Think about your race, the skin color, your gender, your IQ, your gifts, your talents, your ability. Everything about you, your thumbprint that nobody else has, the number of the hairs on your head. Some of us have more than others. He can count. But do you get the picture? You're not a mistake. You're not an accident. And maybe you've heard that one too many times to a place where you feel that you're an accident. That you wake up in the morning and you look in the mirror and there's no hope. You're discouraged, you're broken down, you're depressed, and you're just grinding life out. Just trying to get past the next 24 hours, the next seven days of the week, one more month. Do you see the difference if you wake up in the morning and you look in the mirror, God's Word, and you spend time reading God's Word and letting it saturate and soak into your heart and in your soul and your mind? Do you see the difference that you'll walk away and you'll see yourself as a state-of-the-art, one-of-a-kind masterpiece? You're the first iPod. You're the first Tesla. You're the first prototype. There's no number two of you, no number three. It's just one. It's just you. And there's nobody else that's like you. So why not be just you? Why not be 100% you? Why not be all in on who God has created you and gifted you and called you to be? He's expecting you. He's not lonely. He has perfect love in the Trinity. The Bible tells us or defines God as this, that God is love. God is love. And in his perfect love, he created you as an object of his expression of that pure, pristine, 100% all-in love. That divine, healthy, wholesome, fulfilling love. And don't miss that. We're all masterpieces. And we're all born and designed into this world because he just simply loves us. 
So when you get up in the morning and you go to the bathroom and you look at yourself in the mirror tomorrow morning, I want you to ask this question. What is that one thing about me that I don't like? What is it keeps me from feeling like the masterpiece that I ought to be and God claims me to be? What is that one thing about me that I've struggled with for years and decades and on and on that I have wrestled over and over again? What is that one thing the enemy comes and creeps into your mind and says to you and speaks to you so that you walk away from that mirror feeling like you are a mistake, a mishap, nothing but another accident? And I want to encourage you tomorrow that when that comes into your play, when that comes into your mind, to take that to Jesus Christ. Say, listen, I have thought about myself like this for such a long period of time. There's no freedom. There's no joy. There's no, I'm talking from personal experience. There was 15 years of my age where I felt like junk. I felt like trash. My parents didn't intend for me to leave their household feeling unloved, but I did. And I spent a long part of my life, 15 years, feeling unloved, unlovable. I was insecure, and I looked at everybody else in my class, and I thought they were all smarter than me. They were all more gifted than me. They were all going to go further in life with me. I was the guy who would never raise my hand and answer to questions because I, quite frankly, I didn't see myself as that smart. As Yogi Bear would say, I was just struggling to be just smarter, a little smarter than the average bear. Okay? But I saw myself as junk. And if you wake up every day feeling like you're junk, you're going to treat yourself like trash. You're going to get involved in things that make you feel trashy. You're going to do things that reinforce the mindset that you've thought of yourself for so long that you're just junk. You're just trash. You're a disposable container. You're worth about five cents down at the local big Y. God has a viewpoint or a perspective that is entirely different. And out of his great love, he created a room full of masterpieces. And at just the right point in time, he breathed life into your lungs and he brought you in here and he set you down and he scooted you out and he said, behold, behold, take a look at this. This is my handiwork. This is my workmanship. This is my masterpiece. Oh, folks, oh, folks, if we could just let that sit in our hearts and souls and simmer for a bit, how much different will we see ourselves and see one another? As we move along, <clears throat> principle number two is that God offers us an opportunity beyond our lifetime. God offers us an opportunity beyond our lifetime. We all have that, listen to the passage of scripture in Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11. How are we on time? Are we up? Are we up? I don't want to go beyond our time. 
It's pretty bad when you bring up a stopwatch and you forget how to use it into your first point. <laughs> hey, bud, next time they ask me to preach, uh, make sure they install seat belts in case I go beyond, you know, if they have a hard time getting out and running to the car. All right. Hey, God offers us an opportunity beyond our lifetime. Listen to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. God has planted eternity in the hearts of men. Okay. Have you noticed that? We all have this deep-seated instinct that we're going to live forever. There's a sense that this is not all there is in life. There's this sense that there's something far beyond. I can't quite describe it. I can't identify it. I can't paint a picture of it. It seems kind of vague. It's almost like a mist or a breeze that comes through. But there's this deep-seated sense of eternity in our hearts and in our souls. Okay. Let me ask you this question. On average, women tend to live to be 85 years of age. Men, on the other hand, tend to live to be about 83 years of age. Audience participation here. Be careful. Who would like to explain why there's a two-year two difference in uh, the life expectancy of a woman tending to live to be 85 and a woman living to be 83? Any takers on that? Care to explain the difference in the two years there? Uh, wisdom. She's coming right out of the box. The opposite of that is non-wisdom. Uh-oh. Now, I'm going to go with that. That's pretty good. We're never ready on time. So the stress and the anxiety, the stress and anxiety of sitting on the sofa watching ESPN, waiting for our spouse our girlfriend to come out and go to dinner or to the movies, and they come out and they say, well, how does this look on me? That's a trap. <laughs> High school, college guys, that's a trap. Don't fall for it. When they ask you what they look like or how do they look in this, you better be prepared with a very good answer, a positive answer. That's a good one. Waiting for our spouse is stressful. That could take two years off of our lives, if not more. Anybody else? Uh-oh. What's that? Men try to look cooler? She has wisdom beyond her years. She has been raised well. It's really simple. I know you're sitting there trying to think of something scientific, medical. It's very simple. Men just do dumb stuff. Just Google stupid stuff men do. What's the famous last words of men in general? Watch this. Generally, those are the last words of, of, of many men is, just watch this. Listen, listen. God has put eternity in our hearts and souls. How many of us here want to live to be about 100 years of age? Any takers on that? Not, oh, wow, we got a room full. Not me. I'm 53, and when I get out of bed, it sounds like Rice Krispies. It's a snap, a crackle, a pop here and there. I don't feel good at age 53. I can't even begin to understand what it would be like to be 100, 105, 110. That is not for me. That is not my bag. I am not looking to live to be 100 years of age. It's always amazing to me that when you go to the funeral and the individual in the casket is 95 years of age, somebody will sit around you and will say, geez, I, it's just such a surprise. It's just... 
I have a sermon that I do. It's a very positive sermon for funerals. I wanted to use a portion of it in this, but I didn't want people falling out because it's a funeral sermon. What a surprise. 95, they've lived 95 years of age. Let me tell you something. That individual that lived 95 years of age in light of eternity was this. And exhale. We think about it. Somebody living into their 90s and 100s, we go, man, that is old. But the truth of the matter is, is if you live 80, 90, 100 years in this world, it's just but a mere... We're just a breeze passing through. We come, we're strong, we're gone. In light of eternity... Listen, God offers us an opportunity far beyond this lifetime. I want you to think about this. What does your day one look like? This is a retirement term that we use. What does your day one look like? The first day after breath ceases to exist in your lungs, and your body, this flesh, collapses like a tent with the stakes that have been uprooted. What will your day one look like? Have you ever thought about that? The Bible has a lot to say about that day one. Listen carefully. This world offers us millions upon millions upon millions of choices. Every day we are bombarded with decision after decision after decision. Some of them are important. Some of them are not so important. Some of them are just whatever. Others have lifetime implications. I want to share with you this morning that there's really only one decision that really matters. Anybody in this room looking for an opportunity of a lifetime? Anybody want to share about an opportunity of a lifetime that they've... Uh, that they've been able to accomplish. I know that Harless and his wife, an opportunity of a lifetime was driving 8,000 miles to California and back. 8,000 miles with your family in the car. <laughs> I, I was speaking with his wife after the first service and she said Harless rode 7,000 miles in the trunk. Opportunity of a lifetime. I'm not a skydiver. Some people get off on that thing. I think I'd like to hike the Grand Canyon whitewater raft camp. I think that would be an opportunity of a lifetime. Maybe taking my wife over to Paris. That might be an opportunity of a lifetime, right? Maybe standing up at the plate at uh, Fenway Park and actually taking a swing and smacking a Grand Slam in the World Series. That would be an opportunity of a lifetime. I'm here to share with you the the most important opportunity of a lifetime. Listen closely. Because it's all about what you do with Jesus Christ. If you learn to love him and trust him and embrace him and, ex and, and accept him and follow him, it's an opportunity of a lifetime. And it's an opportunity that's not going to just last 10, 15, 20, 40, 50, 80 years in this world, this lifespan, 
It's an opportunity for all of eternity. It's what you do with Jesus. Now listen carefully, because every Easter it comes out, and we have people write in the Time magazine about heaven and hell, and then we have the upper echelon of some major denominations that say that hell is just a figment of our imagination, that it doesn't really exist. But listen carefully, the Bible teaches something entirely different, and if we're one of those individuals that hears about Jesus Christ, and we choose to say no, and push him aside, and continue on this path of being the master of my domain, when it's all said and done, and we draw our last breath, and we stand before him, we're not going to be invited into his kingdom because we made a choice. We rejected him. We did our own thing. We didn't listen to him. We weren't willing to sacrifice or yield our lives to him. We didn't trust Jesus. And by default, we made decision after decision after decision. We simply said no, 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 and more no's to God. And we draw our last breath and we stand before God. It's not that he throws us into heaven. Is it for our period of time here in this world we chose to have nothing to do with Jesus? And decisions have consequences. So today we're faced with that decision. And we have to live out those consequences. And I'm praying that every one of us understands that God has our best interests at heart and that Jesus loves us enormously. So much so that he couldn't put a price tag on any one of us. So much so that he was crucified and he was buried. He was spat upon. He was beaten beyond recognition. And on the third day, he rose from the grave. And that's our hope. And that right there at Calvary, or Calvary, is an opportunity of a lifetime. I know your days seem long. I know the weeks go on and on. I know the months can be pretty tough. But I'm telling you, this is just but a And then eternity's going to start. We fight aging. We fight anti-aging. We have anti-aging serums. We have anti-aging creams and lotions. You know, I uh, start feeling my age, so I went on website, and I went to one of these uh, anti-aging. I'm, I'm opening up the, the way I think, so you guys can chuckle. Uh, it's just who I am. So I went to an aging, an anti-aging medical clinic online because, you know, you can, only, you can only watch, seriously, you can only watch so many commercials of men that are in their 70s that are buffed. They're in their 70s and they look like they're 27. You know, the gym rat is just ripping out. And, they're, and you got this guy that you, you look at his face and you go, geez, that guy's got to be at least 70. But look at him. So I went to the website and I did some research. And, it's, you know, it's eight hours. You go there and you stay overnight. And they run test after test after test. They run your chemistry. They draw your blood. It, it's just, it, it's just a, an enormous undertaking. And, of course, you know, like that, they don't exactly tell you how much that's going to cost. So I did some re- further research, and I realized that you know the the the, the, the first trip in for eight hours is like ten thousand dollars. Okay, now I'm fortunate; I got in good insurance, so my deductibles deductibles about fifty bucks. But then I looked further, and they don't take uh, health insurance. <laughs> so there, you know, I wasn't really going to fork out about eight thousand dollars for the initial visit. And then after that, it's $1,500 a month. 
Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I got some vanity. But I don't have $8,000 on the first visit and $1,500 a month worth of vanity in me. But that's just an illustration that shows that people will go to great lengths to stop this idea of aging. They don't want to age. They don't want to grow old. They know it's inevitable. They know that the grave has a 99.99% success rate if, with, with, with Jesus and Lazarus in the factor. You pull those two out, and the success rate of the grave, that six by six box that's six feet down in the ground, has a success rate of 100%. We can't run from it. We can't escape it. And that's why the time here is so important because it's just a and the question is is what have you done with Jesus talking from personal experience here I spent 15 years of my life I grew up in church I grew up in the Southern Baptist Church on Sunday mornings and Sunday nights at a full-blown charismatic church on Wednesday nights I was born and raised, I, no, I had no choice in it. I, I, I have calluses. I've spent so much time in church, house churches, hardwood, sitting on the floor, sitting on the brick wall. I'm telling you, I've been in every church imaginable. I was raised in church. And when I walked out of my house at 17, having graduated high school, I didn't look back. I wanted nothing to do with Jesus. He was a hard, ruly guy. He had a bunch of rules that I knew that I would never measure up. He had a long list of to-dos and an even longer list of to-don'ts. And I had realized by the time that I was 18 or 19, I was checking off those don'ts left after right after left after left after right, one after another checking them off. Why? Because I wasn't a masterpiece, and I didn't like myself, and I saw myself as trash, and I treated myself as trash, and the image of God that was burned into my mind and my heart and in my soul was someone I wanted nothing to do with. And I'd go to church occasionally on Mother's Day, or on Easter, and I'd stand next to my mom because that was the thing to do. Please, mom, go to church. Go to the nice Easter buffet. And I can recall the number of Sundays that I would stand there, and they'd extend the invitation, and it was like a hurricane coming into my heart and in my soul. And I'd push that down, and I'd cram it down, and I'd do whatever it would take to suffocate that, to push that down. And it was year after year after year that I'd walk out of church, and I'd wipe my brow of my forehead, and I'd go, whew, I escaped it. I got out of it. It was just an hour going to this church thing, and boy, it kind of got me worked up. But man, whew, it's a good thing I put the good battle on. And I fought it off. I fought it off until I made a series of decisions over a long period of time that brought me to a place that not only was I junk, but I was actually running the whole landfill. That's where I got. I was running the landfill. I had employees running the landfill for me. And I went to church. And I had a pastor that spoke about race. Spoke about grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. 
and that changed my life. And for the first time, I didn't see myself as junk. I got a vision, I got an idea of how much God loved me, and that he had a plan and purpose for me, that I wasn't the bumbling, fumbling idiot, that I wasn't this scared little insecure kid anymore, and that gripped my soul. And I'm telling you, I'm here this morning to share with you, you can have that same experience. You can have that life-altering experience where the Spirit of God speaks to your heart this morning and says, you're not junk. You're not trash. I know you've lived in a dump for a while. You've trashed your life. You've trashed a couple of relationships along the line. The evidence against you is overwhelming, but I'm here to tell you that if you pick up that pile of crap and you drag it to the cross of Christ and you leave it there, You simply say, Jesus, help me. All I can bring you is my crap. That's all I have to offer. I wish I had something more, Jesus, but all I have is crap. And you know what he says? I'll take it. I'll take your crap and I will recycle. The Bible calls it regeneration. And I will mold you and fashion you into the masterpiece that I intended you to be on June 3rd, 1966 at McDill Air Force Base in Tampa, Florida. So I ran over time, and I appreciate your attention, but we're going to move into a time of invitation. And I want you to think about these two things. What's that one thing that I trip over? What's that one thing that I cannot stand about myself? What's that one thing that causes me not to like myself or even move into a place of self-hatred or self-harm? What is that one thing that I cannot reconcile with myself and get over? And I want you to take that to Jesus the minute that comes into your heart and in your soul. The next time that message comes into your mind and in your heart and your soul, I want you to take that right there. When it's raw and it's painful and it's destructive, I want you to take it right at that moment and I say, Jesus, I don't know how to deal with this. I can't handle this. This has a grip on my life. I'm enslaved to it. I'm, a bond, I'm, a, I'm in bondage to it. I'm attached to this thought. 
warped idea about myself and there's no hope. And I want you to take that when it's raw and it's painful. I want you to take that at the footstool of Jesus' throne and I want you to lay it down and I want you to say this to Jesus. Please give me victory. Release the chains. Set me free. Let me for the first time see myself as your masterpiece. Thanks for listening today. If you'd like more encouragement or information about New River Church, check us out at newriverchurch.org.